Thank you, Emilius, for being here. Before I begin, I think it's best to read the premise of this particular podcast. With the advancement of extended reality and metaverse technology, the digital world is expanding at an alarming rate, the same as the actual and virtual worlds combined. Many industries are benefiting from XR technology because it produces more efficient processes, maximizes training, empowers brands to reach their customers in new and innovative ways, and allows individuals to collaborate in virtual settings from remote location, amongst many other benefits that XR and Metaverse technology is introducing to the world. The buzz around XR and Metaverse technology has steadily increased since the beginning of the 21st century and saw an even bigger swell when Facebook changed its name to Meta. This has led to many talented people choosing to enter the XR ecosystem and companies also scrambling to hire the right talents to build the needed XR products. This episode of XR Atlas podcast focuses on understanding how to break into the XR ecosystem as a developer, an engineer, a designer, a project manager, and basically breaking into the XR ecosystem, no matter the skill in XR that you that a person is trying to build. This episode would also focus on building a career in XR, the kinds of knowledge necessary, and how to find the right jobs for any skill level in XR. Even if you're a beginner, how to find the, um, the right jobs as an expert or how to move from a novice to a beginner and a beginner to an expert. I will be having this conversation with Emilius, my dear friend, of course. Good who is morning, Baba Sunday. Good morning, Emilio. Who is an XR specialist recruiter and founder at Immersive Search, a company on a mission to provide exceptional XR talents to businesses across the globe. They provide access to an international pool of carefully vetted professionals. You would learn more about Emilio's experience with recruiting and hiring in the XR ecosystem. We would also, um, I would also converse with him about key things such as skills required to build a career in XR, the source of knowledge needed, and how amateurs could go about it. The sort of skill that Massive Search actually look for in people before they connect them to the required company. This is XR Atlas. XR Atlas focuses on exploring the XR and metaverse technology to better understand how this technology is shaping our collective future. So XR Atlas also looks at the past in terms of how XR has grown, the present, what is happening in the XR and metaverse space, and the future, making predictions on things that could happen in five years, 10 years, especially with the rate of acceleration of not just XR or imagine technology. The central question for this particular podcast would be, how can anyone build a career in XR and what sort of skills and tools are needed? Thank you very much, Emilius. Yeah, Babatunde, it's it's a pleasure to, yeah, to, to, to be here with you and with the XR Atlas team. Um, I remember in the early days, well, when we sort of started immersive search um yeah just under two years ago you were one of the first people i personally reached out to and uh and learned from and and look you're, you're you've been a, f- a good friend of mine ever since so yeah it's it, great it to be an, here it has been an awesome experience being a friend yeah. learning from you tackling the xr ecosystem together at least from our own different angle or locations in the world uh, so um, please, I think for us to go um, go deeper into this podcast, can you introduce more about what Immersive Search does and okay. maybe a little about you so that people develop a bit of understanding about you speaking, a bit about what Immersive Search does. I'll just um, have a quick intro and then I'll, I'll follow yeah, up on that, on, on that key question, Baba Tunde, on you know, yes, how can yes. anyone build a career in XR and what sort of skills and tools? Awesome. So my name is Emilios. Um, I live in uh, the UK, um, in London. Um, I'm co-founder and recruiter at Immersive Search. Um, we are an AR, uh, VR, OXR uh, recruitment agency uh, with uh, three key missions, really, um, to help people find work, to help people upskill, and to establish uh, clear pathways for students or graduates to enter the industry after they finish their studies 
or when they uh, or, or, or whilst they are studying uh, they need some help with you know internship opportunities so yeah help people find work help people upskill and work with educational institutions to try and create clear pathways for students to enter the industry so a little bit mm -hmm. about me um i so i've got i was recruiting in the telecommunication space for oh, yeah for around 10 to 10 to 11 years so in the early days we mainly supported the likes of nokia and ericsson and then towards the latter days a lot of our work was with huawei um we we helped them uh with uh, recruitment solutions for um, fixed network and mobile network projects so we'd help these companies um uh by providing uh, professionals who would design build and then roll out these projects so if we're talking mobile networks it's 2g 3g 4g if we're talking fiber fiber uh related uh project uh, fixed network projects yeah that would be fiber related so i'll give you an example uh in my telecoms days i was in johannesburg so i was based in johannesburg for for three and a half years and then i was in cape town for for about a year and a half as well um mm. and my previous company wanted us to set up a local office to service the telco vendors across the african continent so we had to provide a localized um service offering for companies mm. like ericsson and nokia who had big projects with mtn etc so it enabled us to to quickly um, get a feel for what it was like for, for, for meeting people on site and experiencing African culture, African people, um, mm. how things work over there, you know. And it was a real eye-opener for, for me. Um, and following on from that, COVID happened. So tele I worked in telecommunications recruitment for a long time, spent some time in Africa, came back to the UK, worked in the UK, still doing telecoms for a while, and then COVID happened. We took a step back, Baba Tunde, and we looked at the hyper-connected world. When we I say hyper-connected world, what does that mean? We can say the eight key technologies one would associate. You could say augmented reality, virtual reality, 5D, mm. artificial intelligence, robotics, 3D printing. And... Mm. The deeper we researched, okay, um, the more we became fascinated with AR and VR. And at the time, there was a lot of noise about Pokemon Go. There was a lot of noise about AR. Yeah, okay. I, remember, I remember those times. You remember those times, okay? And, you know, my brother, my little brother, he was... He loved that game, okay? And he still plays the game, to be fair. And he's looking forward to Niantic's uh, Peridot uh, version. Of, uh, it's like, the, it's similar type of game, still web AR. Uh, it's like virtual pets. So he's looking forward to that. Um, but then as we started researching the use cases, then when we talk about use case, we're talking about AR solutions, uh, use cases in healthcare in education, in manufacturing, you then start to understand the potential is enormous. Um, and at that time, these technologies were playing um, a key role in, 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 in driving us out of these challenging times. So we knew it would be difficult because there isn't a universal language for what roles look like. There aren't defined guidelines for how technologies are designed or developed. Um, mm. But we said we had to do it. So we did it. We set up the business. Um, when we say, when I say we... Immersive search. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when I say we, yeah, immersive searches. So I myself, um, and then in the team as well, it's Mariam. So Mariam's co-founder and she's um, head of operations um and um our uh, equality uh, diversity and inclusion lead uh, she's also based in london you've got jason who's our growth advisor in singapore who supports us 
with strategy as we enter uh, in new uh, geographical uh, areas. And then we've got a remote technical team in India um, that supports us with, with, you know, with any technical uh, requirements. So I'll give you an example. 90% of what we do is recruitment. So we place uh, people on ARVR projects. So whether you're a software engineer, software developer, a technical artist, a 3D artist, a UI, UX professional, projects manager, we try to help you find a role, whether that's remote, whether that's hybrid working in your own country or neighboring countries, or whether that's on site where we would support you with a full um, relocation to another country. And that's what we do mm -hmm. seven, seven days a week. Now, 90% of what we do is recruitment. 10% of what we do is technical writing, design and prototyping. Now, I'll be honest with you, you know me very well, Baba Tunde. Yes, finding people is hard enough and I love to find people and help people but I can't do the technical writing design and prototyping so the team in India they help us with with any ad hoc requirements and you know why we had to expand the team because in the early days we we got some things right but we also got some things wrong because when you first speak to people you need to understand who they are, you need to understand what their mission is. You need to understand how their technologies or how these technologies that they're using are helping them to achieve their mission. You need to understand what the culture's like. You need to make sure that there are no gaps on the technical side of things. So as you could imagine, without a very deep technical understanding, you can make some mistakes. So we addressed that quite quickly in the early days and we, we were able to, yeah, to, to increase the, the team size, which allowed us to service our clients better, you know? Do you think, although we'll touch more on this, but XR space compared two years ago in terms of available skills in the market that you're able to um, connect with companies that need them, also jobs available, in companies that are looking for the right skills do you think that has significantly improved yeah yeah so so i think um okay so how do we say so in terms of sk skills so it it is it is harder it is harder to find people because companies are typically looking for a lot of the same profiles okay and there is a massive skills mm. And the challenge we have and candidates have in this marketplace is some candidates don't really understand job specs. So some job specs make sense. Some job specs candidates say are a bit too vague. So for instance, they could have some information about uh, the company and responsibilities, but maybe the technical requirements are a bit vague. There isn't a detailed understanding of what's a must, a must have as opposed to a nice to have. So we've tried to address this by creating all of our specs on our website. So before we get a job spec, we go into deep with our clients into making sure we know what it is and what they need. And then to ensure that they know we know what they need, we create our own version and put it on our portal. So it's quite boutique and it's quite unique as we don't just copy and paste uh, client specs on, on, on the portal, we, we, you know, we, we create it as, as we see fit, as long as it's approved by the end client. Um, from what you've said, it seems there is more jobs in the market than there are skills to fill. That's correct. There are lots of jobs. There are so many jobs. If you look at Facebook, uh, ARVR, there are, there are lots of websites. You look at our portal, there are lots of mediums where you can see, but from our experience it's very difficult to post a job and receive a suitable response and why is that most of the time good people are not really looking for work good people are happy or good people are just too busy you know what it's like Babatini. look how busy yeah. you are day in it you are too busy to even i'm sure people may approach you to, to work for and you're too busy with what you're doing to even look okay so exactly my man. That, and that's why they come to people like us because we have built 
a, a community from scratch organic where we've built relationships with people. So whenever we receive a job, um, we would go to people within our community, speak to them about the role directly, mm. and then gain their approval and then manage them through the interview process, the offer okay. and the onboarding process. Mm. Thank you very much, man. From what you've stated so far, if there are more jobs in the market than there are skills, I think this particular pod, um, this particular episode is to enlighten those that are looking to pick up those skills in order to utilize those or leverage on those jobs that are available on um, platforms like Meta, and Microsoft, and Co. Do you think a degree is necessary to pick a career in XR? Although as an XR specialist myself, mm -hmm. uh, I do know that a degree is not necessary, but I think it is important to hear it from um, a specialist recruiter like yourself. Do you think a degree is necessary? If a degree is not necessary, what sort of education do you think, at least minimal education, do they need to have gone to high school before they pick up XR? What sort of education do you think is needed to at least go into XR? Does one need to be that literate? Do you need to have a degree in computer science? Yeah. Good question. Good question. Well, look, if you already have a bachelor's degree in computer science, you have a good foundation. Okay. If you don't, it doesn't matter. You can learn programming from, you know, YouTube, Udemy, uh, Udacity, um, Unreal Engine have uh, a lot of material. Uh, Unity have a lot of free material. Now, from our experience, we have two types of clients. Okay, you have startups and you have your enterprise, uh, you, you know, uh, powerhouses, let's say. Okay, Meta, Meta for example. Example. Now, for startups, there's a lot more flexibility. Okay, from our experience, you know, a lot of the time people are happy to look at experience, they're happy to look at skills and working in a startup environment one would always be expected to sort of wear many hats and to try and contribute to contribute and collaborate where possible for enterprise clients obviously depending on what level we're talking about are we talking you know senior unity software lead are we talking program manager are we talking you know cto um you know metaverse lead metaverse strategy lead then, you know, if we're talking about working with some of the consulting houses, um, then yes, of course, uh, you, you know, education, uh, the, the, the education requirements are, are higher and some would also require masters as well. But if we look at the skills, we tend to try and break it down into nine, we can break it down into nine key areas. And if you look at the nine key areas, it's programming, software development, general XR knowledge, XR SDKs, um, machine learning and computer vision, UX design, 3D modeling, graphics rendering, and soft skills. Does one need to have all these skills in terms of 3D modeling, um, coding, um, UI UX design in terms of um, in the XR space? Do you need to have all those skills to get a job in the XR space? Or can you focus on one become an expert in that and yet contributes um, advantageously to the XR ecosystem. Yes. Do, they, do you need to learn all those or you can just focus on one and you would also be able to get recruited, for example, by Immersive Search? Yeah, you could, You don't need, you focus on, on, on whatever you enjoy doing. And I always say that, you know, follow uh, your, your, your passion uh, because that's where the magic happens. Um, start somewhere um, really focus on that area and 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 and, and, and grow um, from our experience six months of committed learning plus adding another six months of applying your learning in a real world project whether that's through an internship or an open source project to a job um, mm. and definitely sharpen your domain knowledge. So six months of learning and another six months of applying. If you have a developer mindset, you mm. may want to go into, let's say if you're a developer and you want to create augmented uh, reality experience mm. for mobile platforms like iOS or Android, 
Um, yeah, go into mobile app um, uh, development that would help get you know game development, and then you would look at the software development kits, whether that's AR core, AR kit, depending AR kits. Before you continue, um, I would like to state that experience in the XR um, space is divided into various sectors, right? So there are those that are skilled with tools such as Unity, Unreal Engine, and they are able to deliver experiences that way. There are those that are just skilled in terms of programming and they deliver, for example, XR experience on the web, WebXR, through tools like 3GS. Right. It's, I think that um, brings to mind that you could go directly into just learning a programming skill that does that relates with XR or learning a tool such as um, Unity or Unreal or picking up an SDK or even a, a development um, tool like Spark AR. Spark AR, for example, is a tool released by Facebook in which people are able to develop augmented realities. So such tools are available for people to focus on. So a person that, that decides to focus on Spark AR, they might not have the all domain knowledge across XR space. They might not have the domain knowledge of deploying on Unity. As long as they gain expertise in, just like you said, six months of serious learning and six months of deploying projects, which is just a year, they can simply become a Spark AR, AR software developer and be employed through that. Yeah. So understanding concepts like loops, uh, control logic, um mm. objected orientated programming principles like um inheritance abstraction they yes if we're thinking about programming yeah if we're talking programming that that should be yeah basic sort of experiences because once you're sort of through with programming you, you may automatically shift towards building stuff rather than practicing problems Mm. Yes. Um, yes. So in that six months of the learning process, you may be expected to know stuff like UI UX development based on a given mock. So if you're given a design, you're able to develop that using the code. So the code obviously depends on the domain that you've chosen. So for web development, you want to be familiar with HTML, CSS and JavaScript. And then you can dive into a UI framework such as React, something like that. Um, if mm. something else you may be expected to know in the first six months of your learning could be connecting your client side app to some sort of API uh, to show dynamic data using JSON parsing techniques or even adding third-party libraries. So you don't have to, how do I, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Uh, exactly. You know. Thank you very much for that. In terms of not reinventing the wheels, I think it is also important to state that there are tools that I even that do not need you to know programming for you to deploy XR experiences. There are many tools like that that would make you deploy AR VR experiences without any coding knowledge. And I think that is one place that we should go into now, which is those that already have useful skills that might be useful in the XR space and are just looking to transition. I believe, or I've seen many people and I've mentored many people through that the transition was easier. So for example, you have UI UX developer, people that are already UI UX developers before or UI UX engineers before, transitioning to the XR space is a shorter journey compared to a person that knows nothing about UI UX um, design. Also, I think the second thing would be 3D modeling, which was the first way I actually got into XR. I was just into 3D modeling. And having that skills, uh, skill and trying to go into XR made the journey easier to an extent. My question to you now would be, those that have ready-made skills that might not be um, related to XR, but are looking to jump on, do you think they should also go the same way you've talked about? Do you think they should focus on a um, on a different XR journey? How do you think they should approach the XR journey? At least those that already have skills like 3D modeling but are not into XR yet, or skills like UI UX design. How do you think? Well, I think yeah. So for instance, for for for, so for people with three for 3D modeling and animation, so tools like Blender, 
Maya and, 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 and Cinema C4D, Cinema 4D. These are great for, for, for prototyping experience with, with animated 3D models and environment design. So these prototypes, they can, they can serve as a good starting point for showing a concept to potential clients. Both are, yes, yeah, so both are with the designer mindset. So once you're done with UX design, you can think about how you can apply the design principles to XR. And let's be honest, what issues do we see day to day on XR projects globally? Uh, return on investment, RRI, you know, it's a big issue. And that's what uh, makes a lot of people hesitant to, to, to get into the space, you know? But, you know, if it's all about making money, um, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I think what you'll really see is the the people who generally care about making the you know making impact uh, for the greater for the greater good um, will flourish. Before we leave tools and programming, before we leave that completely, I think one of the main reason I raised that question is because there are, there are many tools out there. If you want to go into Excel, I think what would actually convince an amateur or someone that is trying to get into the space would be which tool do I choose? Which direction do I go? Yes, Unity. Why should I go with Unity? Why should I go with Unreal? What top tools? I know those top tools would probably are not the best in the market. They does not mean they are the best in the market, but at least what top tools, three or four, would you advice that people learn be it tools or programming language at least those going into the ecosystem because there are many tools out there and things are getting confusing so which would you recommend so i would say if you are interested in creating web uh, based experience uh these web-based experiences i would certainly look at javascript uh, sorry javascript uh, and, and, and Java, um, because if we are thinking where the world, yeah, I was going to say, if we're thinking about how the world is going now, mm. VR, uh, okay, it, there are huge challenges for VR, you know, um, accessibility, you know, due to the high cost of purchasing XR hardware, many people will be exclusive, excluded, especially for education systems where these technologies can you know, can help and transform educational experiences for children. However, yeah. for AR, web AR, um, you know, WebXR, we're talking, you know, uh, 3D scenes being, you know, rendered on the web. The accessibility now is is, 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 is enormous because a lot more people have smartphones um, than, they, than they do uh, headsets. So we really think that, um, that's a key area uh, moving forward. So if, if I hear you well, to reach a larger demographic, to reach more people, you could look into WebXR because that way most people have a browser on their systems, they have a browser on their phones and they are able to deploy the experiences. Those looking to pick up skills that would reach more people should probably look into WebXR. Okay. At, at least here in Africa, where most people are not able to afford an headset, uh, delivering experiences on the web is the best way to reach as many people as possible. So yeah. web and and yeah. for those that are, so web, if we're talking WebXR, you know, just think, you know, group of standards which are basically used to support rendering 3D scenes um, to, 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 to hardware designed for presenting virtual worlds or for adding images uh, to, to to AR. So. Um, the WebGL, that's the graphics language that takes the data and turns it into pixels onto the screen. And then WebXR, it manages the context and provides the information to WebGL on where and how to draw those pixels. Um, a couple of resources will be going out to this episode, right? Once prepared yes. by Woods Immersive Search and myself. Right. So I, I think we would add some of those things to those resources that will be going out to the episode. This question is actually on the metaverse because that's like the next hype on XR. Everybody is crazy about the metaverse. 
about this, about that, fashion in the metaverse, this in the metaverse. So, Emilius, what are your thoughts on the hype surrounding the metaverse? Do you think is an hype that will die down soon? Do you think is an awesome hype that people are not really overhyping it? And what is also your thoughts on like Facebook's name change to Meta? And how that affected the OXR industry. Because from my own experience, immediately Facebook changed to Meta. Even those that did not know about the Metaverse, they were very excited. What was your thought on the hype surrounding the Metaverse? Yeah, I, th I think it's I think it's good. I think it's good for the industry. I think there is a lot of noise. And what's important is when there is a lot of noise to always try and take yourself out of the noise and just try and understand what the noise is all about. <clears throat> um we work with clients and we very rarely hear the word metaverse used when we're speaking to candidates, when we're speaking to clients. We very rarely hear it used. So I think at the moment it's certainly used as sort of a, a bit of a buzzword at the moment. But look, it's among the fastest growing technology segments of our time, despite it's still being, you know, at an experimental stage with only really a few platforms available for general use. Unified virtual world offers, you know, limitless opportunities for gameplay, uh, work, social interactions and revenue generations, you know. So at the moment, what can people do in the metaverse? You can meet and collaborate with colleagues. You can socialize and make new friends. You can create scenes and games and other VR experiences. You can buy real estate, NFTs. You can monetize them as well. You can express yourself through your own cool avatars. Uh, you can shop for real and virtual products. You can play VR games. You can attend learning events, concerts. You can sell in-game assets for cryptocurrency tokens. You can invest in digital artwork through NFTs. You can even get a job in the metaverse. You can brainstorm design products in 3D. The, the, the possibilities are limitless. That's what I hear you say. Uh, yes. Also, that, that's how I feel. But obviously, that's what you're also saying, that the possibilities are limitless. I actually saw an article online where a, a couple got married on, in the metaverse. Although it went, the, the, the marriage went a bit glitchy because Walking to the altar, walking to the altar, you see maybe the wife's animated character character is a bit deformed. Maybe some people were locked out due to network. Those are still the bugs that are happening. Or at least we can see those shifts or those changes affecting industries. People socializing in a way that is absolutely different. Do you have any prediction for the metaverse? Let's say in 10 years. In 10 years, where do you think we would be? We know where we are um, now. We did not think we'll be here 10 years ago, obviously. You see how we are XR and related technologies like rose yeah. within the last 10 years. Where do you think we'll be in 10 years? Have Where you do you yeah. Ho ho hopefully me and you will we'll be on a virtual beach somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> look, I, look, I don't know. Honestly, where will we be? You know, uh, I tell you what I want to see. I want to see codes of contact, conduct, Babatunde, like we're starting to see emerging in artificial intelligence. You know, we really need to see codes of conduct. You know, we want to see ethical and safety policies moving forward. You know, we need to try to ensure at a global level that the technologies, that they're inclusive and they're affordable especially if it's for educational use sir you know so that's quite an important like point that you just stated and i was going to bring you back to that which is the ethical responsibilities companies have especially companies that release metaverse products i think that's one of the biggest discussion that has been going on in this space currently what what sort of um ethical responsibilities do companies have currently can five-year-old assess a vr headset can they just go on metaverse platforms i truly think and i truly agree with that fact that a lot of thoughts needs to go into inclusivity and the ethical responsibilities that metaverse companies have towards their users so for instance i'll give you an example if you're a company i think a company should be open with users about the data that they're gathering um, mm -hmm. and then give mm -hmm. them an opportunity maybe to opt out um when possible and also maybe 
you know, understand, you know, how their data is stored, you know, and if you look at the eye tracking, you know, and if you look at their patents, it's our understanding Meta wants to track your eye movements and facial expressions as you yeah. roam the metaverse, you know, and patents are alluding to that because they were involved, they were granted many patents recently. Some involved uh, tracking users' eye movements, some involved tracking users' facial expressions, okay? Um, a meta executive recently said that eye tracking data could benefit advertisers. So, you know, on one hand, you've got monetization, and on the other hand, you've got ethics. Now, where's the line? I'm not an expert in this area, but you see the possible dangers here, sir, and where we need to I get. Agree. And even on Oculus, I think the initial time that I bought it, I don't know if you've had access to uh, the opportunity to buy it, but yes, they require yes. a Facebook account composite. Yes. I found that yes. very, very weird, but yeah. I could not not use it because it was the best, at least consumer ready, cheapest product that was delivered awesome experience. So we had no choice. I had no choice. If I had no Facebook account, I had to go and create a Facebook account. I think that has been changed. I have no idea now. I think it has been. You can log in without your Facebook. But those are some of the things. For example, releasing customer data, like you said, or how the use of customer data, how is it going to be? Be more, be more transparent around that. The next question would be, let's go back to the central question here. And I would say, let's address them as short as we can so that people that gotten lost trying to consume all the information we've been talking about would at least grab some key things. So the key thing is how can anyone build a career in XR? I think we already stated things around um, skills or tools that are needed, right? As far as massive search, let's say someone is listening to this podcast now, maybe they have certain XR skills. How do they either get in contact with immersive search or how do they go about getting that job? First of all, yeah, I would I would certainly advise. So I would certainly advise people to build an online presence. So it's really important to work on your portfolio, work on your GitHub, um, and build uh, connect with people. Whether that's um, LinkedIn groups, whether that's AOVR community groups, whether that's Discords, whether that's Twitter, uh, Twitches. Um, it's it's important for people to, to, to build their network because if you're not building your network, you're reducing the amount of people you can potentially speak to. And, okay. yeah. you know, and it is a numbers game. You just need to keep speaking to people. Um, I wouldn't necessarily advise people to apply for jobs the traditional route by just sending their CV uh, uh, to a job link. Be creative. Why don't you research the company and look at the hiring manager? Um, make your application personable. Maybe you want to send something to the hiring manager directly. Um, uh, rather than your email just being in a list of 50, 60, 70 applicants. You know, volunteer to work on open source projects. You know, just get that exposure. Um, the more projects and experiences you have on the belt, um, the better. Um, and I'll give you an example. We have clients who... Uh, we've seen clients who have been willing to take chances for people with limited experience, but project, uh, uh, how do I say, if you look at their profiles, you can see someone who's willing to, to learn new things and yeah, just never be afraid, uh, yeah, to, to learn more things, um, I would say. Uh, how else could they look, you know, define yeah. your platform, you know, get edu educated, you know, develop a project. You know, if you have no prior experience in VR or AR, you need to start building your portfolio. This will help you land a job in technology a bit more easier because companies ask for portfolios. We 
often, nine times out of 10, a client won't interview without looking at their portfolio. To do this, you must start developing projects in order to have something you can show people like me or hiring managers when you're applying for related positions. And like mm. I said, volunteer on open source projects to practice more in the field. This is a route lots of engineers take when when they're starting their careers, Babatunde. You know, pitch to companies. You know, once you've completed your education and maybe you've got some experience under your belt, you have to show recruiters and potential employers your skills. You have to. They're not really going to come to you a lot of the time. You've got to go to them. So in this respect, you have to immerse yourself in the VR and AR community. You have to build a network with other engineers in this field, okay? Now, to create a successful portfolio, you need to highlight your best projects, but we always advise people to keep it personable. Keep your projects personal, keep it concise. That way, you're going to stand out. You're going to stand out and you're going to stand out from others in the field. And that will open doors for you. It could be a specific companies, or even when it's time for a technical interview, you can prepare yourself by knowing which questions you may face, you know? So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. so just so, learn every day, learn what you can about the industry, you know, elevate your skill set, create your networks, you know, be involved with others because the demand is rising. And if you put your time into learning, you can find the dream, but you need to invest time into learning. How is the interview process like? How is the selection process like? If you can just give a bit of brief around that. So yeah. Keep yeah. So, so shall I give you an example of our recruitment process? Yeah, please. Okay, yeah, awesome. Please. So typically what will happen is a company will reach out to us, Babatunde, they'll reach out to us and they'll say, we're looking for um, a web AR, a developer to work on a permanent basis in California. Um, they'll give us all the information. So what we would do is we would have a call with them. We'll set up a call. We will understand who we're talking to, um, what their mission um, is, uh, uh, what the requirements are, what the culture's like. Uh, and then once terms are agreed, uh, we would then um qualify the spec we've received to make sure we have a deep understanding of what's required once mm. we have a deep understanding of what's required we will then create our version of the requirements and then we'd go into our own community and and, and talk to people about the role so typically what would a role look, uh, an interview process look like i would call you if i can't get hold of you because you're busy i would send you an email with all the information about the job which I have, I would then wait for you to respond back to me. We would then go through it. It's normally about a half an hour, 45 minute call. We'll talk about the role. Uh, my, my role is to ensure that my client information is clearly, clearly uh, discussed with candidates. You know, mm. uh, we need to manage expectations. Candidates need to know what they're getting themselves in for. What's the status, what's the status of the project? Just about to start is it a bit of a nightmare is the candidate going to be a firefighter that's going to come in and save the day we need to manage expectations from the start so once we discuss we got we review the application material so we review cvs we review portfolios we understand people's reasons for wanting the job uh, we won't just send someone cv because they send it to us we need to understand why they want the job why they want to why do they want to leave their current job you know? uh, so we need the motives once we understand the motives and we're happy uh we, we will then uh, submit the cv uh, an application to our client depending on the requirement we could get feedback within two hours or one month i'll give you an example contract requirements are very quick Normally, if you need a contractor, you needed your contractor last week or you need them next week. You know, really spot turnaround. So typically, we'd get a role, um, a candidate would send a CV, a candidate may be interviewed uh, that day 
and could even be offered a contract a day or two days after for contract. For permanent, mm. the process is a bit longer. It could be three, four stages, five stages of interviews. It wow. could be an initial screening call. It could then be an intro call. It could then be a technical assessment. It could be two technical assessments. Then it could be a presentation. It could be a stakeholder pitch. It all depends on the process. But typically for a contract job, I would say two stage interview process. But before we even send your CV to the client, we always have our screening call. Even though we've spoken before, we will always speak again. We will always speak for every new role we receive. Um, and then we would help the candidate, you know, throughout the interview process. So we send the CV, we get the feedback, we host the interviews. A lot of our clients want us to host. A lot of CTOs, CEOs, program leads, they're busy. Some of the companies we, we support maybe don't have big enough HR functions left. You know, there's a big skills gap. So we effectively are an outsourced HR function to a lot of businesses. So, you know, we need to dig deep and really build those relationships. Then once we have that, we can host an interview for them. We can manage the interview process, manage the onboarding process. Uh, to make sure, you know, contracts are signed, make sure people start. And then obviously not just start, remain there because you can do all the work in getting people the job. So imagine this, Babatunde, you know, yeah. I've worked with, imagine this, me and you have worked together. I'm just speaking hypothetically. Me and you have, it's a permanent job. It's, you've done 12, 13 hours of interviews. The process has taken four or five months. You've got the job. You start, and imagine if I don't speak to you after you start, you would think, whoa, what's going on? No, we have to keep in touch to make sure you're doing okay and you're happy. Because if you're not happy, that means I'm not happy. And that means I have to try and find you something else, hmm. <laughs> potentially. Uh, as long as it's, you know, as long as it's obviously agreed with the end client. But yeah, so it's, it's quite difficult, I must say. Thank you very much for that clarification. And I think I like the way you take both the candidates and the companies, you follow them end to end. From the early stage, you work with them through to when they get into the job and even after job keeping in touch. I think that's an awesome process. And I think that's one of the things that makes Immersive, immersive Search stand out. And one of the main reasons I love your brand. I have one more question if you would like to answer it, which is what XR hardware or brand is your favorite currently? Maybe it's a metaverse um, brand, maybe it's an hardware brand. Which is your favorite currently? I think probably Unity. I, I think the reason why is looking at the community they've built, the amount of free material they have, and looking at some of these real time projects, you know, whether it's animation, automated, architecture gaming it's just incredible it, it, it you know it, it really is you you know they're doing a lot a lot for the community um the other thing i wanted to tell you babatunde is i know web ar web xr is a bit of a passion for you so i just wanted to tell you two last points of a yeah. job we got in for skill requirements and nice to haves okay so yeah. for skill requirements for web ar developer our clients said they were looking for someone with a bachelor's or master's degree in computer science or related technological subject or comparable practical experience. Two to three years of experience as a front-end developer. So React and other frameworks are not mandatory. So 3JS and A-phrase skills or eighth wall were really more important. So yes, a good knowledge of 3JS and A-frame and an understanding of ARVR and an understanding of general 3D programming. Okay. And then nice to haves on that spec. Worked with Unity or Unreal Engine before. Worked with 8th Wall AR SDK, Babylon JS, or any other AR software development kits. Skilled in DevOps related tasks such as CI CD pipelines and deployment via AWS, Google, uh, Cloud Azure. Worked with front end frameworks such as React, Angular, or Vue create 3D models using Blender or Maya, strong understanding of 3D math fundamentals, 
and worked with graphics libraries such as OpenGL, Vulkan, or DirectX. Thank you for the clarification. And like you said, um, WebXR is a passion of mine. I know. And, <laughs> I know. And, I know. At, at least for me, uh, going into it, because I first went into Unity, I went into XR through Unity first. Unity, I'm modeling with Maya and deploying for the VR headset. But finding WebXR, I went into it through Babylon.js, now 3GS, and yes, you mentioned A-Frame already. So those are awesome tools to pick up and there is a lot to learn. There is a lot to learn. Yeah. But it is a, a fun learning space if you love doing it, sincerely. Yes. Thank you very much, Emilius. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking about how people would be able to, at least, at least now, people that have no idea about XR and going about a career on it, they at least have a baseline or foundation to begin with. Thank you very much for taking your time to educate people out there. Thank Babatunda, you well, I need to thank you for your time, for taking the time to teach me about ARVR in the early days when I didn't really know anything. You invested a lot of time into, in, into helping us and the team, and it's something we will forever be grateful for. That brings us to the end of this episode of XR Atlas podcast. XR Atlas focuses on exploring XR and metaverse technology to better understand how these technologies are shaping the collective future of the human race. Stay tuned for more episodes from the XR Atlas pod where I'll be speaking to leaders in the industry, enthusiasts, developers, people that are passionate about XR and are actively making changes. I hope this episode helped you. I hope you are able to benefit a thing or two from this episode and I hope you learned as much as I did. Um, till the next, keep learning. Thank you. <laughs>